coming soon to a theater near you. It's The Equalizers, a weekly podcast where two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Knoll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, Madison Jones. Madison, are you in good form? Um, not only am I in good form this week, Mike, but I am the question to the world. Not an answer to be heard. Or a moment that's held in your arms. And what to do, you think you didn't ever say, I won't listen anyway. And you don't know me. And I'll never be <laughs> what you want me to be. And what do you think you'd understand? I'm a boy, no. I'm a man. You can't take me and throw me away. And how can you learn what's never shown? Yeah, you stand there on your own. They don't know me, because I'm not here. I was going to let you go as long as you wanted to go before you were... <laughs> so, I think ob- it's clear to everyone, it's clear based, to everyone. On that, based on that, this week it's Treasure Planet. Yeah, it's clearly Treasure Planet. Not from the title of the episode. That alone because was the giveaway. Because of the first verse to the father-son bonding moment in Treasure Planet 1, like, of the song that plays over them bonding. The cyborg-son relationship. The r- robot man and pirate boy fan fiction that t- took place on the screen. That's actually my favorite Disney Channel original movie, Robot Man and Pirate Boy. <laughs> Joining us again this week is friend of the show and confirmed servant of Satan, uh, Kylie Neal. Kylie, welcome back. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I just said you were a confirmed servant of Satan. I've never wanted anything more. I mean, it's it's hard to deny it. She does have the number 666 just carved into her head right now. Yeah. I so. mean, and a t-shirt, I heart Satan. And I heart Satan. So. Yeah. She's Kylie is also our resident treasure planet expert. Oh, no. Oh no. Basically yeah. anything That's... to do with ships, as it turns out. She's our most nautical friend. Yeah. <laughs> if nautical nonsense be something we wish, we call Kylie Neal. Yeah. <laughs> I've never oh, been more flattered in my life. Well there you go. So everybody give up trying. <laughs> so we're doing Treasure Planet this week, head to head. We each wrote um pitches. <laughs> I'm my, my I describe my pitch to Mike as basically a fever dream and a merging of different notes that I have. So, which I mean, most people at this point will have heard hooked your hook to pitch. Your most recently, there was one that was really fever dreamy. Beetlejuice 2 will be out by this point, too. Yeah, which is a collective hallucination, <laughs> I think, on our part. <laughs> which, uh, it's funny because like this one is also a pirate one. It's something about pirates. I just can't break That's that true. wall. Yeah, Madison's pirate blind. <laughs> I'm, I'm pirate blocked. Um. <laughs> so, Kyla, why did you pick Treasure Planet too? I'm sorry. Why did you pick Treasure Planet? Uh, I just went and stood in front of my movie uh, shelves and tried to find one that a I really enjoy and b doesn't have a sequel already. And that turned out to be a lot harder than I expected. But I came up with yeah. uh, with the Treasure Planet because uh, it's just one of my underrated faves. Yeah. You know, uh, Madison, it's interesting that that was the reason because 
when we were figuring out what we were going to do for our first episode of Equalizers, we literally were standing in front of Madison's movie collection, just looking at DVDs, and that's how we picked Hook. Yeah. It was like, Hook, huh, what would the sequel to that be like? <laughs> yeah. And then... We wandered around your apartment muttering Hook 2 <laughs> to ourselves Hook for like two. 10 minutes, just like very much excited about the opportunity. There was a 20-minute stretch that we just yelled it out the window, too. <laughs> Hook two! <laughs> Hook two! Well, I'm glad I could bring you back to Pirates, like, coming full circle. Yeah. I will say, working on my pitch, I did listen to the Muppet Treasure Island soundtrack, <laughs> like, a bunch of times. Perfect. Uh, you know you know what part of Muppet Treasure Island, not the sidebar here, but uh, that actually scared me as a kid? It was when, at the beginning of the movie, where the guy dies in the room, and mm. they realize that he's dead, and they're like, He's dead! And then they just start screaming, and I'm, I was like, ah, holy shit, he's dead! I, like, you they just made... started yelling that out the window for 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, their fright made me scared. Fright is pretty terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Historically, fright is very scary. <laughs> All right, well, I take it the three of us, because I really like this movie. I've told you two this before, but I actually saw this movie in theater five times. Wow. If I remember correctly, I saw it twice because I really liked it, a third time with somebody else. Maybe a fourth time with another like friend, and then the fifth time, my mom was selling Christmas trees, and we were right next to our theater, and she said, you know, I'm going to be here for like three hours. You might as well just go see a movie. So I saw Treasure Planet again. <laughs> so I very much like this movie, but it may surprise you to know that there are people on Rotten Tomatoes who don't like this movie. I have a few reviews here. This one is from Bobby L., who gave it two and a half stars. You have the entire vast expanse of space to choose from, and the creative teams, talents, and resources of Disney, and you come up with cat alien and a dog alien? Are you freaking kidding me? My gosh, what a waste. This movie could have been awesome. Space pirates are cool. Science fiction is cool. Treasure Island is cool. John Resnick <laughs> and the Goo Goo Dolls are cool. <laughs> But throw in cats and dogs as your aliens, and then a robot that can't seem to stop screaming, in parentheses, Martin Short should be ashamed of himself. What a terrible character, in parentheses. In Martin Short's, in Martin Short's defense, I don't think he can ever stop screaming. Uh, we also talked about Jimmy Neutron on Guess What You're Gonna Hate, and that's basically the same character Martin Short played in yeah. Jimmy Neutron. Uh, not to mention, the early scenes of the film were so boring. It did have its high points. Cyborg Silver was cool, and Morph made me laugh every time. <laughs> Unfortunately, these pluses were smothered by terrible lack of creativity. Parentheses, cat and dog aliens. Cat and dog aliens! Four exclamation points, in parentheses. And a very obnoxiously not funny robot. Oh well. End of review. There's also turtle aliens and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was like a crab spider alien. Yeah. There was a rock man. Yeah. Why didn't he have a problem with those? Kyla, your thoughts on this review? I mean, if that's the takeaway, like cat and dog aliens, like my thought, my only problem with the cat and dog aliens is that their babies at the end are not cat dogs. That's my only problem with it. <sighs> that's true. What if cat dog is the child of Dr. Doppler and Captain Amelia? I'm just saying. Not that little frog in the blue alien. <laughs> <laughs> my mind is blown 
<laughs> Madison's trying to come to terms with this abomination of a thought. I guess, like, it's like, what if this is a prequel to Cat Dog? We don't know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's, fuck, that's what my sequel should have been, was how one of their kids gets sent to Earth. <laughs> I'm so pissed Damn now. it. I'm so angry. Damn it. End the, uh, no, that's what we're doing. That's it. I know. Episode over. Yeah, that's it. All right, last review. Jackson S. gave this movie a half a star. Although the animation is stunning, it's so boring, I ended up playing with an egg. End of review. <laughs> what kind of egg? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. What kind of egg do you think it was? Let's go around. Everybody go around. <laughs> what, what kind of egg does everybody think that guy's playing with? I think it was a deviled egg. Okay. Hard-boiled. Hard-boiled? I think it was an, those the chapstick that's shaped like an egg where you pull the top off. And Got it. I think it was that. So he's probably just like continuously applying, or they were continuously applying chapstick for the whole movie. Well, with that visual in mind, yes, and shall we dive in? Yeah. Before it, I'll do a quick synopsis. Yep. Wouldn't be an episode if I forgot about the synopsis. (laughs) Yeah. So we open on a, it's kind of like a storybook being told of the pirate Captain Nathaniel Flint being read by a young Jim Hawkins, the protagonist of this movie. And he, eventually his mom comes in and they read the book together and then it flashes forward and we see uh, Jim, who is older, being super rad on a hoverboard and doing sweet flips and shit. But he's actually arrested by the police. We This is where we find out that Jim has a... He's kind of a troublemaker, and he's had run-ins with, like, the law before. But uh, one night, um, a ship crash lands near Jim's mother's inn, and a, I think it's a turtle alien. Was he a turtle? Yeah. Yeah, I think he was, like, a turtle-esque alien. Pops out of the ship, and he's dying, and he gives Jim this, like, sphere um, and tells him to beware of the cyborg. And then all these pirates come in and burn uh, the inn down in the hopes of finding the sphere. But Jim, his mom, and a dog man, voiced by David Hyde Pierce, get away. And they go to David Hyde Pierce's observatory mansion area because he's an astrophysicist. And they realize that the sphere is a map that leads to the legendary treasure planet, the place where... Captain Nathaniel Flint st- stored all of his riches um, that he's the ever... The loot of a thousand worlds. Yeah. Finding out that this is the, what the map leads to, Dogman uh, Dog funds a exhibition um, to find Treasure Planet, uh, hires Captain Amelia, who's the captain of the ship, along with a bunch of other uh, sailors on the ship as well. Is a cook named Silver, who is a cyborg, and Jim uh, becomes somewhat instantly uh, wary of. But as time goes on, Silver becomes sort of a father figure to Jim on the boat until it is eventually revealed that uh, he is a pirate and he is um, actually leading all the rest of the crew on here to betray uh, Jim, Captain Amelia, and Dogman. And eventually create a coup on the ship. At one point, uh, a guy dies. It was uh, like Captain Amelia's right-hand man. Mr. Arrow. Mr. Arrow. And he's a big rock man. Um, And Jim is blamed for it. This is before the coup. I'm kind of going loosey-goosey here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
and Jim is blamed for it. Uh, that's when then Jim finds out about the coup, and during it, Captain Amelia is, I think she's injured, um, or they escape, and they start making their way towards Treasure Planet. They get there and realize that the way Captain Nathaniel Flint was able to plunder as much as he did in his tenure as a pirate was because he, the Treasure Planet has this portal that he could instantly transfer to different worlds and different places in the universe where he can just get the jump on people. And it includes a portal to his treasure trove to get there. Um, they're confronted with Silver and the gang, blah, blah, blah. The, they find out Captain Nathaniel Flint rigged the planet to explode. If anyone ever tried to steal the treasure, they attempt to escape. Um, there's a moment where Jim, it looks like Jim is going to die if Silver doesn't help him um, and save his life. Because Silver has gone somewhat soft in his pirate ways. Um, and actually bonded with Jim and uh, loves him sort of like a son, he decides instead of, like, steal a bunch of treasure, he saves Jim's life. They escape, and the movie ends with Jim letting Silver get away because they have this sort of father-son... Will they, won't they? Oh, <laughs> Kind of, k- kinda, kinda will they, won't they, father-son, boy, mm-hmm. robot... Um, connection that is pretty lukewarm at best honestly what was the movie they just made with army shape hammer of, shape of water <laughs> well yeah they did that was the movie that they just made uh phantom thread no it was with um army hammer and it was like a dude like a younger kid like a younger person like had a love story some about i don't know titan AE. the internet yeah titan AE that they just made recently iron giant never mind Thanks, Madison. The joke, the joke doesn't work because I can't remember the name of the movie. So let's just move on. So, yeah, that was the movie. Did I leave anything out that like is very important? I don't think so. Not for my page. Just the fact that the movie ends with Jim being really boring and clean cut and leaving behind his rebellious ways, joining the space. Yeah, team. as far as you know. Yeah. Because in this, in in the official sequel that we are about to <laughs> crown. <laughs> He might have picked up his rebellious ways again. That's very exciting. Maybe. I did read a review on Rotten Tomatoes that didn't make the cut that was just like a list of people who had this opinion, and it was that Jim's haircut was awesome. That was the review. Wow. Like young like, Jim's haircut? Yeah, like, or Jim, <sighs> just in general. Probably during the, like, the weird ponytail <sighs> shaved sides thing. I'm just telling you what I read on the internet. Well, I'm telling I'm you they're not... wrong. The internet is okay. wrong about Oof. something. Shots fired. Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> reviewer who said that, if you're listening, we'll give you Kylie's Twitter handle at the end of the episode and you can go to war. Perfect. You can just dunk you can dunk on her about Jim's haircut. Yep. Madison, let us let's each let's you and I pledge that for the next so many days we will can we will just tweet Kylie pictures of that haircut. Okay. I'm ready for it. We can make this our first uh podcast blood pack. That that's what we'll do. <laughs> And those are unbreakable. Yeah, those are unbreakable. It's like the unbreakable vow in Harry Potter. Yeah. If you make a p- podcast blood pack, <laughs> if you go back on it, your podcast is just deleted off the internet. Yeah. And you can never make another one. The yeah. files just end up being no, they just don't record anymore. Yeah. There's just, there's also a, an X brand under your, your, like your left eye so that yeah. everybody, like you can't make any more because everybody knows you broke your last one. Also, your butthole closes up. 
forever. <laughs> so is this our podcast blood pack with all of that? With all of that on the line, Madison. <laughs> Who's going first this week? I think it's me, because if I remember right, you went first in Beetlejuice 2. Yeah. And that was our last head-to-head, so I believe it's my turn. Okay. Please take it. All right. So my sequel, it's not Treasure Planet 2, colon, anything. It's just called Pirate Planet. Got it. We open on a future spacey royal palace. Inside, the queen is in a meeting with naval officers. One of them, a young man with six eyes, is in a huff. This is Lord William Montbatten. The Queen tells him to calm down and call in the Captain. Captain Amelia enters. She's tasked with fake turning pirate to find Nassau, the the planet that's a haven for pirates that no one's been able to find, and report its coordinates to the Crown. Lord William makes it clear he thinks he should be doing this mission. The Queen outright tells him to can it. Uh, She also tells Captain Amelia to pick her crew and report to the docks first thing in the morning. We cut to the Admiral Benbow Inn, where Jim Hawkins, nearing the end of his furlough, because he joined like the Royal Navy at the end of the first movie, so he's just kind of home on shore leave. So Jim Hawkins, nearing the end of his furlough, is sitting at a table eating something in a bowl. Dr. Doppler, who Madison referred to as Dogman, and Captain Amelia enter with their children, who mob Jim. He laughs and wrestles with them until Ben appears, and they go tackle him. Amelia and Doppler sit with Jim. At some point, Doppler gets up to help Mrs. Hawkins, and Amelia leans in. It's clear in the last few years since Treasure Planet, they have cultivated a close mentor-mentee relationship. She tells Jim about her mission and offers him the job of first mate. Jim is speechless. She's already cleared it with the Admiralty. All he has to do is say yes, which Jim does eagerly. The first thing they'll need is a guide, someone who knows where Nassau is. The natural choice is Long John Silver. Her Majesty's government knows where he is because Amelia had put trackers in all the lifeboats because she knew Long John Silver would try and escape. Uh, Since then, the government has been tracking him. She asks Jim if he's comfortable using this relationship to further the mission. Jim is is floored and disappointed, now believing he was chosen because he's the only one who can get close to Long John Silver, but he agrees. Jim reports to the newly fitted pirate ship, the Black Arrow, named after Mr. Arrow. Captain Amelia is waiting along with a crew of naval officers in civilian clothes. They set sail, and on their way to Long John Silver's last known hideout, the planet Havana, they encounter a wealthy merchant vessel. Amelia decides they should have a test of their pirate legs before they make contact and steers them into a fray. We get a fun scene of their first plunder where it's military. They're clearly not pirates. Like, the crew is waiting for orders. They're moving with, like, they're moving with military efficiency. None of them are drunk or disorderly. Like, they're clearly a military outfit. It's not pirates. It's And I put in my notes, uh, I think this scene is very much, hello, fellow teenagers. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> then it's like, you guys aren't even drunk. <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe they're, like, all wearing the same outfit. Not, like, a uniform, but, like, they're out of uniform, but they're in, like, a uniform of some... I don't know, like, I'm just... This is kind of a fun little goof of how bad these military men are at being pirates. Is Jim kind of like, man, this isn't... This isn't how it is, or, like, they're like... 
I think Jim's on the the Black Arrow, like watching with Captain Amelia, and he's just kind of like face palming at yeah. how like they're like marching in rank and file, like how just bad this is. Uh oh, one of the merchant ships mercenary slash security actually also recognizes one of the pirates, like knows that he's in the military. Um they successfully get treasure, but it's a hugely awkward experience. They drop the treasure on a less fortunate planet and continue to Havana, which I'm imagining is kind of a spacey, futuristic take on a lot of, like, the ports that you would see in, like, Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. Like, okay. Like a more, I don't know, like, in your head, everybody, when you say Havana, they have this kind of idea of what that looks like from movies. I'm thinking of a more metallic texture Got instead it. of stone and... Okay. All of that. Is it kind of like a, um, like the, like in Pirates of the Caribbean where, uh, the government sort of controls it and there's like royal guards around all the time or something? Yeah. I think this is much more a general port than pirate specific. So yeah, there's like sold, there's soldiers of maybe some of different militaries there and legitimate business and illegitimate business and, uh, I mean, it's a it's just like a port city. It's like uh, in the first one, Montressor Spaceport was just like a spaceport, except this is a little bit more rustic kind of, I don't know, feel. It's not as much a big bustling city like that one was, like a capital. Uh, right. Amelia sets the crew to searching taverns and inns for Long John Silver. Jim, in his search, sees a place much like the Admiral Benbow Inn, from within, he hears Long John Silver's laugh. Jim, disguised, enters and finds Long John Silver serving drinks and food. This is his establishment. Jim sits at a table. Long John approaches and asks what he might be wanting. Jim replies he's looking for an old friend, a cyborg, who might know the way to Treasure Planet. Long John is pissed and tells him to take his story walking. Jim lays a gold coin down as if to bribe him, which then transforms into Morph. Uh. Uh, Long Chong sinks into the opposite chair. I imagine with a by the powers that be. <laughs> Jim fills him in, explaining they're trying to get to Nassau, but doing a bad job of not making it seem like they're cops. <laughs> I think he's trying to pass off this like, oh yeah, we're trying to get to Nassau, but like, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna tell on it. We're not gonna narc. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> like he's doing a very bad job of selling this as anything but what it actually is. Uh, Long John eventually agrees, somewhat reluctantly. I think that he's promised probably a pardon for his, uh, like he doesn't have to hide out as yeah. much anymore. And they sail for Nassau. The crew sees Jim and Long John getting on and loosen up, somewhat to the consternation of Amelia. I think she catches the, him and like Long John in like clandestine chats with various crew members, like. She's starting to suspect he might be trying to foment like a mutiny, yeah, or whatever. Like she doesn't really like Long John Silver, and I think that just from the get go, she does not trust him. And so, anytime she sees him doing anything that could be vaguely construed as suspicious, gee, it's like it happened before or something. Yeah, and so, uh, but also Long John doesn't help because he obviously does not think that everything's on the up and up, like. He clearly knows that this isn't a legitimate like deal that they're going to 
report on Nassau. Like he's so he's not helping matters by very clearly not trusting her as well. So they sail into Nassau after obviously several months at sea. And I think that kind of like um, Wakanda or in many like fictional, highly advanced places, there's like a hologram. So it looks like empty space. Okay. Which they, when they, so as they fly through it, then they see the planet. Uh, Nassau is a tropical pirate paradise. Ships floating the sky above a raucous shanty town leading into a more traditional town center. I'm thinking like uh, Tortuga from Pirates of the Caribbean or mm-hmm. the island of Nassau in Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Got it. Laughter, song, and fighting echo in the air. Uh, Nassau. Thank yeah. <laughs> the Black Arrow docks with the other ships and they prepare to depart. Amelia has a meeting with the crew and not Long John. The crew seems surly and impatient now with her kind of military procedure and bearing here. Amelia reminds them of their mission. They are to recon defenses and, you know, places like they're basically here to set up a possible invasion and like Mm -hmm. military endeavor. Jim is in the meeting and is feeling guilty that he's like, again, this is a reminder of how he's lied to and is betraying Long John, who's basically been nothing but a friend to him. Uh, It's not helped by Long John being really happy to be back in Nassau. Like, he clearly loves this place. Uh, they enter the city proper and get swept up in the adventure and revelry of the pirate capital. Amelia keeps apart from this and goes about the mission. Uh, I think we get a very short, not quite montage, but series of clips of her, like, peeking around corners and taking notes of, like, battery positions and turrets and this and that. Being, like, sleuthy cat. Yeah, basically, Captain. like, everybody else is just kind of having a party. Yeah. And she's, like, doing the thing. Uh, finally, she stops and pulls a transponder out of her coat to signal the fleet and is bumped into by a young woman named Catherine carrying a large basket of laundry. The basket is upturned, and Amelia helps her pick it up and carry it home. Uh, I think Catherine is going to be, like, visually coded to look like a sex worker. Some like Because that's a job that in pirate capitals was in high demand. But being that this is a Disney movie, that's never going to be touched on beyond visual a, coding. A courtesan. Yeah. So she sees a different side of Nassau now, the neighborhoods outside the town, the families. She meets Catherine's daughter, Olivia. Olivia is a bright and adventurous girl. In fact, we meet her as she's tussling with one of the local boys twice her size and winning. Uh, they return to Catherine and Olivia's home. They meet her husband, who is a pirate. He is a sailor with a powerful merchant firm. One day their ship was taken by pirates. The pirates killed nearly the whole crew, and those that lived were blackballed by the company for failing to protect their assets and charged by the courts to reimburse the company for their loss. Uh, This husband basically fled to the pirate life to keep out of debtor's prison. Uh, I think this is kind of a wake-up for Captain Amelia, who has just been like, pirates are evil, lustful, greedy individuals, and it's like, because like I like pirates, like legit, like real life pirates, and a lot of pirates turned pirate because they were treated like horseshit by the admiralty, oh, yeah. by merchant companies, and this was like a chance of like, look, if you sign on, you get an equal cut of anything we get. Like you, like we're not gonna treat you like horseshit because you're not rich. Yeah. 
Um, and I think that this is like Amelia is starting to learn that here. Catherine says a lot of the men here have similar stories. Sure, there are pirates here who went for the loot and adventure, but a lot of them are here because the universe has given them nowhere else to go. Uh, and like I said, this really like, like affects Amelia. Uh, we cut to Jim and Long John who are strolling through the streets of Nassau, uh, just kind of like walking around. We see Jim get pickpocketed, and then we see that pickpocketer get pickpocketed by somebody else. Like, basically, on this walk down the street, everyone is pickpocketing everybody <laughs> else. You think no one would do it, because you just know it's gonna, like, if you steal, if you, if you steal something, you're gonna get stolen from. Yeah, I mean, that's also kind of the game, is just, like, everybody is pickpocketing everyone at every opportunity. Like, you might walk out of your house with no money, and at one point, you pickpocket, like, $30, and then you come home with, like, 20 different dollars <laughs> that you have pickpocketed, but you've also been pickpocketed four times. And, like, a stack of cardboard and, like, stuff, other stuff that people have, like, changed out in front. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, so, Long John waxes eloquently about Nassau freedom, friendship. This succeeds in breaking down Jim's defenses, and he tells Long John everything. A gun is pressed into Jim's back. Long John has obviously, as I've said before, figured out that this isn't like a peace mission or anything. Yeah. And has tipped off the other pirates of Nassau. Uh, we get an Order 66 style quick cut of the crew being rounded up and imprisoned. When Captain Amelia is taken, she drops the transponder, which Olivia picks up. And the stocks, uh, which the like the head and arms thing, yeah. like, um, where just for the listener, where the head is like locked in with the hands next to him, it's old-timey prison like town square thing you can also buy shares of certain companies at that yeah they're like that's that they have to sell you their all their shares of apple if they're in the stocks they are legally obligated to sell you all their apple shares yeah you can also throw apples there (laughs) in the stocks captain amelia scolds jim for telling silver the plan he throws it back in her face that long john's only been a friend to jim unlike amelia who only asked him on the mission to use silver she deflates. She says that she picked Jim because he's the most capable person she's ever met. The silver connection was a bonus. Something else that he could contribute. She was wrong to ask Jim to do it. She sees Catherine and Olivia watching from the crowd. She was wrong about a great many things recently. They reconcile as the pirates start throwing tomatoes. So you were close. Close. They were both red. Yeah. Long John is standing in the crowd too, watching sadly. He says Jim's name softly, sadly. Olivia overhears and asks him if those are his friends. He says Jim was, but that's probably over now. And she offers him the transponder. Long John takes it and stares at it, looks up just in time to see Jim get a tomato to the face. His face sets and he leaves, turning on the transponder. In an alley, he's communicating with Lord Montbatten. He tells him the crew have been captured. He's going to give them the coordinates for a rescue operation, but if anything bigger than a small rescue ship appears, it will be blown out of the sky. A now-bearded Jim Hawkins is led from a cell to the stocks. In his cell, we see many days have passed by the tallies on the wall. The whole crew is in the stocks again. Captain Amelia looks disheveled, her hair longer and unkempt. Um, is... Is Jim's is Jim's haircut still like the same haircut he has in the first movie? It's, like inexplicably, like it's the shaved side, and yeah. then like the ponytail. For some reason, his hair can't grow any other way. Yeah, it's just that's that, I mean, that's just his natural hair color. Like yeah. the shaved sides are just discolorated skin. That's not actually yeah. shaved hair. Oh no! Oh no! 
An alarm sounds somewhere in the city and a ship is seen sailing straight at the planet. They can see it's flying the royal flag. Jim asks if it's a rescue. 200 warships enter the airspace. It's not a rescue. Uh, no one seems super worried, and we see why when the ships start firing. A shield protects the surface of the planet. And Madison, my old friend, this is where my notes run out. Yay. Uh, I know I want the I want Amelia and Jim to fight on the side of the pirates. Okay. But I'm not sure how the movie ends here. I kind of wrote myself into a corner. Uh, I was like, oh, Amelia's going to help like mount the resistance. Like She knows their we the ship's weaknesses. She can help them. But then I set up like a super dope shield. And yeah. I was like, oh, well, that doesn't work. Like There's literally no reason they would let this crew out of the stocks. Yeah. Well, it's a little rough because like, not only is it there's like an armada outside mm -hmm. the planet, there's also a impenetrable shield. So it's literally yeah, like, I, you know, there's like two rocks just like hitting each I other. I wrote myself into a no stakes confrontation. <laughs> So, uh, maybe I would that's say, the end of the movie. It's just forever now. This is it. This is how. <laughs> I would say I think the shield has to be able to be broken after a while. So like maybe like the shield works, but it not forever. Yeah. And maybe if the ships, maybe it just protects from like blaster stuff, and it doesn't protect from the ships actually being going through it. Mm. Kind of like a. It's almost like a ruse where they think it's an impenetrable shield, but really it just protects them from like ballistics and yeah. not like physically things can fly through it. What if the planet itself is a giant ship? I love and, that. And um, they're like, no worries, like, because they're just going to turn on the giant ship and it's going to move and like mm -hmm. outrun I love them. That. So the rest of the movie is them very slowly fleeing the Imperial <laughs> yeah. fleet yep. while their shields are taking a battering, but they're low on fuel, right? Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, they're low on gas. Um, and if they jump to hyperspace, they're going to blow all their fuel, and then the Imperial fleet's just going to catch them and destroy them anyway. And they don't have a lot of time, but there is enough time for people to leave the planet and go get... Um, someone that can break the codes on mm -hmm. the Imperial ship to, yeah. I'm thinking that maybe they think they only have enough fuel to run the shield for like a day, and so they go to find more fuel, but it turns out they had enough fuel for seven days. Oh, man. Uh, it's... <laughs> little little deep cut uh, Judeo-Christian joke yeah, for all you. Just, just... For all you wasps out there. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think maybe like there is a backup plan and the planet as a ship thing mm -hmm. might work. I think planet as a ship is great because no matter what, they're going to have to move the planet. Yeah. Because they know where N Nassau or Nassau is. Yeah. And maybe I think good. Yeah. Well, I was going to say so maybe they have to move the planet because it's all the things that we talked about. So if the the Amarta gets close enough, they can enter the shield and destroy everybody. But if they move the ship and get into hyperspeed, like, uh, they can run and escape. So they need enough time. And so they are like, maybe they have like a space battle of some mm -hmm. sort. I think that, um, I like that idea. Give them I think time. maybe one of the, like the, the fleet figures out that they can get through the shield somehow. And they start, they do, like some of the ships do, and 
Jim and crew are still in the stocks, and one of them takes a shot that almost hit, is going to like hit Olivia or something. Yeah. And I think Captain Amelia like just super almost superhero like breaks the stock. Her hands and neck are still trapped in the stocks, but now it's free. Also, we get a fun scene of her like running, like with her head and hands still in the stocks, and she like yeah. saves the daughter, which then is like, oh, maybe they're trustworthy, and so they're freed, and then they can. She can like lead the pirates into battle, which I know is the how I think the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie ends is Kira Knightley leading a pirate fleet, but yeah. So mostly, I just want Captain Amelia to become a pirate. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where it's leading, right? To like yeah. that's like, I think that's what you're hinting at in the story itself, um, with her seeing the actual what like pirate life actually is. And... I also envisioned a duel with her and Montbatten. Like a one-on-one, probably like sword fight, but they could they, we could still do that. I think I was getting also to a point in my pitch where this movie was clearly going on for some time, and I still had like forty-five minutes worth of ideas. So yeah, yeah, I think maybe so. It's basically just getting enough time so they can move the planet to get it into another, mm-hmm. like to get into hyperspace. I guess I guess sure. that's what it's doing. Or use like the portal technology, like Flint had. Yeah. And then be on the other side of the universe, so so far away. Yeah, so you just have a series of battles or something. Maybe like yeah, they send fighters down to like stop it and everything, because uh, Captain Melia and the one guy could have the standoff. I think it's just finding what your other characters are doing. Like, what is Olivia doing in this moment? I don't know. I think like I want to set up Olivia for the third movie, obviously. Yeah. In, in my trilogy uh but i i i think she i think that there's ground troops and i think the pirates are doing a very um like the lost boys and hook slash the ewoks in return of the jedi like gorilla type warfare and she's like also helping like they see her and she's like crying for her mom and they like come to like comfort her and she just like st- like stabs him in the legs or something like i don't know but like yeah they're all fighting. I think Jim and Long John are doing something. Maybe they're helping with the trying to get the sh- the planet ship moving. Yeah, maybe that's what they're doing. And he's maybe maybe Long John goes down. Maybe he could be. And this this is the movie where he like dies. I don't know if Jim swings that way. Yeah. Oh, uh, you may uh, die. <laughs> oh, okay. <Ooh>. Nah, <laughs> that definitely happens. Uh, yeah, in my Disney movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, if they can, if they can kill uh, that one dude by throwing him into a supernova, we could have. What a... was his? What was his name again? Do you remember? Coop. Coop. Yep. Was That's it right. Coop? I'm close. Yeah. Coop. I'm, was... I'm close. You mean the Rock Man? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Arrow. But yeah, you were pretty yeah. close. <laughs> What they yeah, don't Coop. actually tell you is in the book, his name is Mr. Cooper Arrow. So, <laughs> Actually, in the, you in know, the book Treasure Island, Mr. Arrow is a drunk and like right. not a good first mate. But in like every kid's movie they make out of Treasure Island, he's like this super stand-up dude. But in the book, he's a drunk and falls overboard in a storm. Oh, no. So speaking of Arrow, is uh is the ship name Black Arrow a Robert Louis Stevenson reference intentionally or What do you mean? Did you, did, did you do that intentionally? That's like another Robert Louis Stevenson book. Was the there Black... another book called The Black Arrow? Yeah. 
For real? I for call real? it that after Mr. Arrow and Black <laughs> call, like Arrow for Mr. Arrow and Black just sounded piratey. Legitimately, I did not know that. I mean, I bet yeah. Arrow was called Arrow because of that, right? Black Arrow is my favorite DC character. So <laughs> You should have pretended that was intentional and taken credit for it. I should have, but you know. That's not what we're about here on the Equalizers. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so yeah, I think then Amelia leads like the pirate fleet, ragtag pirate fleet against the Imperial fleet to buy Long John and Jim enough time to get the get the planet moving so that they can go through a portal to like an undisclosed part of space and continue pirating being pirates and alive. Yeah. Boom. Cool. Yeah, I think that's good. It's the very next deep. movie will deal with the fallout of you know with his mom and and Doctor Doppler, Dogman, as you know him. Dogman. David Hyde Pierce, second appearance in the Equalizer. Yeah, I was thinking about the same thing too. What I didn't realize until this time watching it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt was Jim yeah. Hawkins. Oh yeah, I did not know that. Well, that was a cool fact that led to a very rich vein of comedy and fun. J JGL. JGL. The Lev. This is like this is after Third Rock from the Sun, right? I think so. Yeah. All right, Madison, we are running a little long. So yeah. why don't we get to yours? And I'll say that in a thing that doesn't sound like we're getting pretty long in the time. Yeah. But uh um before we do that, because we have to do it every episode, every head to head. No. Kylie, what is the fake sponsor of this episode? The the what? The fake who's, sponsor. Yeah, who's sponsoring our show this week? Did you not bring a sponsor this week? Oh no. <laughs> well, that's that's going to be out of pocket for you then. If you didn't bring a sponsor, me and Mike won't eat this week if you didn't bring a sponsor. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, 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 I'm unprepared for this bit. It's my stomach growling. Sorry. I'm so, oh no. I'm so hungry. <laughs> Juliana Margulies. Juliana Margulies. The good wife. The, the good wife. The good wife. <laughs> This okay. one's sponsored by The Good Wife. We're sponsored by The sponsored Good Wife this week. Wife. Check it out on whatever yes. channel it's on, starring <laughs> Julian Margulies. I think and it's... probably not any ghosts. I think it's Stars on Demand. I think that's what The Good Wife is. All right. Well, okay. there you go. Done and done. Madison, we get to eat this week. <laughs> we get to eat this week. Yeah! <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to begin my pitch now. Yeah. So... I like that you're bracing yourself. I'm in this closet now, so I have walls. I can just like... I just, nobody can see this, but Madison went, alright, I'm going to start my pitch, and then just put a hand up like he's leaning against the wall. So, so guys. Oh, oh, oh. Got a sexy butt. <laughs> hey guys, um, I'm going to need uh, I'm going to be in my bunk for a little bit. So you just do your pitch. You guys finish the episode. I'll, I'll come back in a little while. Okay. So, fair warning, listeners, and fair warning, prequels, and you two listening right now, this is basically a merging of notes that I've, I came up with. Um, there's a through line, but you know when I usually say, like, oh, this is the point when my notes run out? 
It's just mm-hmm. like little holes of that. Okay. So we open up on Jenkins, a humanoid with deep blue scales and a tail. She is hiding on a cliff that towers above a valley on a desert planet looking at a small shack in the distance, which rests on a hill in the valley. While looking through binoculars, she is using her tail, which she has, basically as a third hand behind her to undo a lunch pail and make a sandwich with the tail. And then she brings it up to her mouth for a bite. Lookwise, I think she kind of looks like maybe like a Navi from the Avatar or maybe sort of like Nightcrawler from X-Men Evolution. After a while, we hear a familiar voice over the radio. It's Jim, who says, are you sure about this, Jenkins? And she applies 100% yes. And looks across the way where we see Jim hiding in the, in the brush on the other side of the cliff. Um, eventually, yes? Just real quick. Is this Jenkins a reference to the Jenkins from the Adventure Zone? Who I'm pretty sure was a dragon-type person. It is not, no. no. But... I just thought it was like a cool last name. No, it's like, fine. I just when you said they were like a with a tail and Jenkins, it, it occurred to me. No, it's not. Okay, continue. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the Adventure Zone. Everyone go listen to the Adventure Zone right now. And or read the Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And you know, just go watch Shrek Ever After too while you're at it. Yeah, and you know what? I've heard the Good Life is actually really pretty good. Yeah. Kyla, do you have anything that you want to, now that we've interrupted, you want to, you want to tell everybody to go watch or read something? I think you've got them busy enough. That's good. (laughs) All right, Madison, continue. Okay. Jim says, are you uh, sure about this, uh, Jenkins? And she replies, 100%, and looks across the way where Jim is on the other side of the cliff looking down at the shack. So uh, this is all leading to a bust that they are about to bust these people that are in this shack. And once this certain dude arrives with this sort of container that looks like a poster-like container, uh, Jenkins is like, bingo. And then they rush down. There's a cool scene with Jim on his, like, hoverboard skate thing, or, you know, you know what I'm talking about from, like... Like Solar Windsdale. Is that what it is? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Sure. It is now. Um, he's super rad and everything. Um, I think maybe Jenkins has like some sort of cool flying thing or something. Maybe she has a parachute that she jumps down off the cliff or something. I don't know. And, uh, they bust these people who, um, are, it turns out to be pirates who have a map. They, um, look at the map and at the top of the map, it says the Grand Mast. And we learn that the Grand Mast was a ship of a legend that it's not like a legend where no one knows what it, where it is, but it's a legend of where everyone knows where it is, just nobody knows how to drive the ship. Because it is seemingly perpetually stuck in the sky, immobile, and even by the most, for, like, even by machinery or anything, it will not move. And, uh... Once the government has this map, they um, look at it, and it is blank. It just says the Grand Mast on the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they deduce that there is an actual map on it. It's just we can't see it. And we need someone who has a laser eye to actually read mm-hmm. the real print on it. 
this is where um and it, captain amelia is here like she's like one of the like the project like the investigation lead on this i think like mm-hmm. i think she works for the government along with jim now and they uh captain amelia reveals that um they actually have a uh, specialist that they want to bring in and it is silver jim is very happy to see silver but also very wary because like oh you're feel comfortable being in and working for the government and he's like oh yeah it's fine we me and amelia have talked and we've worked things out it's fine and jim's like well that's great but he's also kind of wary because i mean silver is a pirate and he is a criminal you know and he's about mm-hmm. to look at this map so he deduces the map and he can see where it is and he draws it out on the map itself like he fills in the the space where that is not on the map of where this thing is mm-hmm. and they deduce where they need to go and they start an exposition again sort of like the first movie where silver is the navigator and jim and amelia and crew are crew this time hopefully without pirates that created coup I think we learn more about the ship that they're talking about, the Grand Mast. Mm-hmm. And while it is very mysterious, it's equally as mysterious as its previous owner, Black Eye Buford. Who, um, yeah, uh, I was proud of it. Who came upon the ship by uh, some means, but the unique thing about it is that it is this dark wood that you really can't see anywhere else. Like, it, like, when people refer to the wood on the ship, it's the wood on the ship. It's not found anywhere. It's not like cedar or anything. It's seems it's to tiger. be tiger. Yeah, yeah. It's it's tiger wood. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face there. Because <laughs> I didn't get what you were getting at until until you said tiger wood out loud. To, until I said tiger wood out loud. Um. Wow. Anyway, it's also very sought after to find uh how to work this ship because it seems to be impenetrable because nobody can move it nobody can destroy it nobody can do anything to it and we uh make our way to the area of the map that it the the place where the map is leading to and it is this hidden spire in this remote location it's where my vagueness comes in a little bit oh just here yeah just just here yeah, this is where the vagueness started, guys. What are you talking about? It's this, like, spire building in this remote location where it kind of reminds me of, like, kind of like a skyscraper mm-hmm. where at the top there are these two towers at the top mm-hmm. that, like, kind of jet out at the top of the building. Okay. And they deduce that this is where Black Eye Buford, this must have been his keep, um, similar to Treasure Planet where the pirate the pirate king or whatever his fucking name was uh nathaniel flint did i get it yeah yeah hey i got it i mean you said it like 15 times in your synopsis i figured you'd you'd remember nothing really sticks with me i think you've learned that by now yeah that's why my favorite game is to ask you to name like literally three characters from any movie we watch yeah and they make it to this place and uh they find the entrance i don't know it's at the bottom and Mm -hmm. Before they enter, they obviously I don't have notes here. Uh, <laughs> sometime before they enter, Silver turns on the, them, and these other ships come in and that are full of pirates, and they have this battle. And during this battle, 
Amelia, Jim, and Jenkins run into the building. Okay. Presumably going to be followed by Silver. So what I've created in this building, um, which is the concept of it, is it's sort of like Judge Dredd, the okay. newer movie. Sure. Mixed with uh, the first Harry Potter book at the end when they're going through the various challenges. Um, so it's like a meat grinder, but with... Like, it's basically a D&D dungeon. Yeah, it's a D&D dungeon where each floor has something to do with pirating. Oh, um, boy. And right. it has different tests that um, that Black Eyed Buford <sighs> has emplaced on them. And obviously, where I could have um, done a lot of story development and character development, I just created puzzles. Kyle, if you want to go ahead and start inscribing my name on the trophy, I understand. <laughs> Hold on. Wait until you hear the puzzles. Oh, oh that, yeah. Which was has been said by so many winners yeah. uh, of movie contests in the past. <laughs> um, the first floor is literally it's it's literally kind of stolen from Harry Potter. Like, <laughs> like <I'm, laughs> sorry, after Beetlejuice two, I can't I can't fault you for just outright stealing. That's true. You just stole. You just stole whole episodes of Jersey Shore that episode. So, um, this uh, first level is the parrot hunt. Uh, Black Eyed Buford engineered hundreds of mechanical parrots that are in this jungle esque room on the bottom of this building. And as they, I did this bit where instead of like pooping or anything like that, like birds do, they kind of like leak oil from them. So they're that, peeing. They're peeing, yeah. And uh, it falls down on Jim and Amelia and uh, Silver who and his band of crew that are in here mm -hmm. with him. I think only a few people actually got into this building. Silver and a small team of pirates and Amelia, uh, Jim, and Jenkins. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are the two teams duking it out here. Um, this room is filled with hundreds of mechanical parrots um that fly around the room um there is a door um at one point in the room where it shows that they need a key to get through and uh they find out that they're of all these parrots they are all red parrots except they see one slightly lighter pink parrot that has an egg that it's flying around with and I think maybe these rooms have like a recording from Black Eyed Buford that plays and it tells them. Of course they do. Yeah. Um, which I'm going to say is voiced by Idris Elba. Why not? Sure. How's yeah. he doing, by the way? He's good. I I'm recording in my closet now for equals because I found that the sound is better over here. Um, so I am in my closet with Idris Elba. I just waved to him. He has... Not waved to me, but he is just looking at me eating oatmeal. Like from the container, right? Not like, like, like yeah. just oats, like dry oats by hand. <laughs> yeah, just dry, one spoonful of dry oats at a time. Um, he doesn't gag or anything. He swallows them dry. Down Idris Elba's not a scrub. Anyway. Everybody tweet at Idris Elba to congratulate him on being able to eat dry oats without gagging. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, the... Black Eye Buford recording is deduced that that one parrot, or it reveals that that one parrot lays a mechanical egg key every 15 minutes 
So whoever gets this key and get into the next room has a little bit of a jump on the other team. Yes, Mike. Wouldn't this room just be fucking full to the brim of keys if it shits out a new key every 15 minutes and it's been here for presumably hundreds of years? I'm going to say no, because I think the room turns on when people are in it. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I thought this had been in motion for yeah centuries and at that point wouldn't there just be keys talking like wouldn't they have not been able to get into the room for it being full of fucking keys no i think okay. i think this is like this trial has like it, it starts when someone enters this okay there, might, there might be keys on the ground but it's also a jungle floor so it's impossible to find them but for other people who okay. may have found this place maybe okay but no I, i'm with you on that i was yeah. just i wanted to clear that up no it was quickly. a good it was a good question for once <laughs> So, I think they literally have a Harry Potter um, esque scene where they are on, like, Jim is on one of those hoverboard things, mm-hmm. and so is uh, one of the pirates, and they're flying around trying to grab this parrot who has the key, and Jim does the Harry Potter thing where he just steps out slightly farther and grabs it before the other guy can, and he flies into the parrot coop or the parrot like nest mm-hmm. and we see that he crashes and is covered in like poop oil <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's like actually like a few of the parrots flying around his head like he's like incapacitated like like a looney tunes cartoon or something that's nice touch yeah thank you so that's the first room <laughs> only 60 more to get to yeah, the next room uh, that they get in, once they get through that one, they enter out onto a platform that is just full of garbage, like scraps from like derelict ships and old furniture. And I think just straight up junk that like is just like indiscernible of what it mm-hmm. used to be. And uh, Jenkins, Jim and Captain Amelia make their way through this wasteland until they eventually reach the edge where there's a drop off that leads like hundreds and hundreds of feet down. Obviously, if anyone fell off this, it would lead to their death. But in the far distance, they see a platform where the door is. So they have to find some way to get from this platform to the next platform. Captain Amelia looks around and sees it like, what kind of stuff is here? And they see that there's like a lot of rockets and also engines here. What they think Buford wanted was to for them to build a boat or a ship to get across this, like a makeshift one. So they start to do that during this uh, 15 minutes at least goes by and Silver and his band of pirates come out into this and they don't attack them or anything. It's more like, oh, we don't have time to like deal with them. We just got to build a boat ourselves, get across the way. This is a race, not a battle here. Sure. And I think they both each build their boats and Silver and his team actually build one faster somehow and they go out across the way. But Amelia and uh, Jim and Jenkins get their boat out, start to do it. They're neck and neck for a while. Then I think one of the pirates um, on Silver's team, when they're close together, they try to knock Amelia, who is driving the ship, off of the ship itself to her death. And Silver's like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? He doesn't want to kill any of them. He just wants the treasure. He wants the ship. So uh, the person tries to knock them off and Silver tries to stop them. They kind of create this like they knock both boats or both ships off course a little bit and they're like swaying back and forth jim is trying to get control of it while trying to help amelia eventually uh in this scuffle the 
pirates on Silver's ship is like, you know what, fuck you, man, you're not about this, and they push him off onto their ship, uh, take out across the way. So his his pirates betray him and go on without him. And so it's like, ah, oh, I should have never trusted them. Why did I do this? Blah, 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 blah. But Jim's like, well, you tried to save Amelia because that person w- would have totally fucking killed her. So, and you're kind of just with us now, you know? Yada, yada, yada. What? So, Silver's ex-pirates make their up, make their way ahead. And Silver is now on Jim and Jenkins' team. Mm-hmm. So they make their way into the next room. And this, I think this is where the montage starts with uh, mm-hmm. whatever song they've decided to use to... Just, well, first song in your head. What's the song? Don't even think about it. Just uh, why not by Lizzie by by Hillary Duff. <laughs> Hillary Duff, good. Yeah. <laughs> Did you go back and like actually find that song after I referenced it? No, you just really re reminded me of Hillary Duff's music career, and I just it's burned in my brain now. There you go. So this is where the montage uh, starts of them making their way through rooms. I think mm-hmm. to why not by Hillary Duff. To why not by Hillary Duff. So one of the rooms is uh, is that them stargazing uh, patterns on the ceiling of the room and mm-hmm. trying to find a pattern of constellations. And that pattern is what they input onto a keypad to open the door to the next room. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm with you. I love it. I love yeah. it. There's a room full of treasure, very Scrooge McDuck-like, but they have to find a this, the right-sized coin to fit into a slot that opens the door. Jesus. Uh, so they were searching through that. This next one I'm really excited for. A, f- a floor that is completely underwater, and they have to scavenge for a sword that has the right hilt that fits into the hand of a skeleton that opens a coffin in which the, sc- <laughs> in which the skeleton in the coffin wears a bandana that will wipe the film off of a mirror so they can look at a piece of text backwards to get the code that unlocks the next door. Jesus, remind me never to play D&D if you're the dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's another one where they just shoot the lock off of the door because they're yeah. like... Indiana I, Jonesing it? Where yeah. The, they're supposed they're in, to do a whole thing and they just are over it and or have dysentery. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like over some... Like at one point, Silver's just like tired of trying to figure out like the puzzle on one this door or whatever it is mm-hmm. he just fucking like shoots the lock off of it and then they like go through the door they can't do gotcha. that always but yeah it's a fun fun one time yeah so uh montage ends and with jim silver amelia and jenkins in the lead they enter a very uh they're towards the top now and they enter a room that is very small and dark i imagine the the actual like spire gets like smaller as it goes up, so the mm-hmm. rooms get smaller. And they enter the room, and the only thing in it is a pedestal with an octopus on it mm-hmm. and a single key. The octopus then starts talking and says that it must solve its riddles. It holds up its arms, and mm-hmm. you see that it's holding up six arms, but it is holding up two nubs where there used to be two other arms and they uh, uh said they have to solve their six riddles to get past the door jesus and each of these riddles he has a gift for them for each of these riddles, and he holds up each one hey freakles just jumping in here real quick to interrupt myself to let you know that we cut this next bit because i 
ran a little long in this next joke sesh and it was already a very long ep and we decided that the due to the length of this bit specifically that we needed to cut it but to give you a synopsis of what happened in this lost time in the next room a octopus was sitting in the room and it presents a bunch of riddles to the treasure planet heroes of whose names in my own pitch i don't even remember at this point and after they answer each riddle the octopus gives a vague moral lesson that is so shallow and so egotistical in its perceived grandeur that it is just obnoxious and I wrote this bit specifically to piss off Mike, which it successfully did, as he will demonstrate in the following part of this episode. So it, basically, it was just a bit that ran so long that we needed to cut it, and we're sorry. But we will release it in a follow-up um, bonus app um, where we kind of share our lost moments in a lot of our episodes that we recorded. So look out for this bit in that episode. As for this episode, we're jumping back in now in the next room, which is the top of the spire. So they get to the top and are on the leftmost tower. Mm -hmm. Jenkins is the first to see that on the right tower is a pedestal with a ruined wheel on it, like a Mm -hmm. ship wheel Mm -hmm. that matches the wood tone of Buford's ship the Grand Mast. Jenkins runs towards it, but Silver grabs her and stops her before she takes another step. One more step, and Jenkins would have stepped right off the building. Uh, the walkway that connects the two towers is actually a very very wobbly piece of plain wood that spans 50 yards total uh, across to the other tower. Jim says that he will start to uh, attempt his make, to make his way across, and uh, as he's making his way, Silver's ex-crew jumps out of the hatch from, uh, from the other room with six red tentacles in hand. <laughs> Fuck yeah. So they, they cut off the... They, they, yeah. Yeah, you get it. Silver and Jenkins make their way along the, along the plank behind Jim, who's about halfway at that point. The seemingly like leader maybe ex-crew member that i've established somewhere Mm -hmm. before pushes one of the other pirates onto the board and um the pirate uh makes it only a few feet and then wobbles and then falls to his death so this is where there are no more notes okay at all and they um I think I just basically it's going to be like a race to the finish. And I think maybe someone falls. I think one of the people sacrifices themselves. Um, I don't know who it would be. It'd probably be silver, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, there's less, uh, less emotional emotion attached to Jenkins. That's true. Cause she's a new character. I understand like silver. Yeah. Silver taking the dive. Yeah. But I think maybe like I have morph in this movie too. And maybe she, they save someone from falling um by giving them like a glider or something or some sort of like wings or uh maybe putting a pillow at the bottom of the fall but this whole scene is going to be a race across this plank i think melia maybe takes out like a sword or something and like swashbuckles with some of them 
um, and is trying to fight them off, being a badass, and Jim and makes it across to the the thing and takes it off of the pedestal. And I think that probably causes some sort of like reaction where like maybe the whole tower is falling or it's going to blow up similar to the first movie where the planet blows up mm-hmm. and they have to find some way to get off this tower. So if you guys want to come up with it, help I mean, me come I up f- with that. I feel like the obvious answer is when Jim touches the wheel and gets it, the grandmaster starts moving and like swoops in and, and like is there and they all get on the ship and say, there, there it is. See, Mike, he did it. But actually the tower starts to fall and Jim's still on it. And then he runs up the falling bricks there like Legolas in the third Hobbit movie. <laughs> because why not? There we go. So yeah, there we go. as soon as he grabs it, it makes the ship, the black mass from across the universe, rush to that location at like the platform off of that tower. The place is starting to fall. Maybe like the place doesn't start to blow up, but the pirates are like, fuck no, we're just going to blow up this or we're going to, they're going to start like firing rockets or something or like guns or something. And Mm -hmm. it makes the place unstable. They jump on the ship and they get away, leaving the pirates to their demise. And And that's fucking octopus. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I actively really hate that fucking octopus. (laughs) I don't know why I'm angry at your fictional riddle, riddle octopus. He's not very likable. All right. There you go. I assume that's, that's your pitch then? That's my pitch. All right. Well, we turn it over. Madison, we did our best. We've run our race. We sailed our voyage. It's time to take it out of our hands and put it in the hands of our esteemed guest and judge and confirm servant of Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Kylie Neal. Our treasure planet expert. Yeah. So, um, the thing I very much like about Madison's pitch is not the octopus, but the fact that it feels like, uh, kind of feels like an Uncharted game. I don't know if you guys ever played Uncharted, but yeah. it's kind of what That's, it feels like. That was another, that was, when I was writing it, I was like, some of this stuff is like, yeah, kind of like, yeah, pretty. Like I expect like, Nathan Drake to just like swoop in on his like grappling hook rope. With, and... with the ponytail haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, ugh. What I really like about Mike's pitch is the, uh, I like Olivia. I like mm-hmm. Olivia. I like, uh, you know, tiny, awesome girl character. Um, a coherent plot. I'm just kidding. I mean, there's that. <laughs> I, I, okay. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'll, 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 I'll waver to that. I also, I, I also think you should vote for Mike. Let's just be clear here. <laughs> I, I'll come to Madison's defense in that we did record. We did have three days to watch this movie, create a pitch, and record the ep- to record the episode. So th- they were under a time crunch in a way yeah. that we haven't really had before. So I, I will come to their defense for their pitch and the fact that they this was three days to come up with all of this. Man, Mike just really didn't like any of my pitch then. He thinks it's... <laughs> no, I just... Whatever. You know he's, what? just make, I... he's making excuses for me at this point. It's the last time I try to help you. So yeah, definitely vote for me. Fuck Madison. Bad pitch. Everything was dumb. Uh, but yeah, for sure. The other thing I liked about Mike's pitch was uh, the fact that Amelia had an arc. Because as we all know, Amelia is my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed them both. 
I wish that we could make a movie of like combined elements of the two, like somehow. Maybe we'll do that as a bonus episode. There you go. But only the octopus is in in likes. I that's all I want to put in. That's, there we go. That's that's how that's they get the choice. shit the planet shit moving. Is that is they my have choice. To solve those riddles. That is my choice. Mike's pitch, but with the octopus. I'm I'm perfectly fine with that because that's gonna piss Mike off so much. Yeah, that's the whole point. Wow. <laughs> I invite you into my home. I let you pick a movie for me to watch. I call you a confirmed servant of Satan, and this is how you treat me. I love it. You took the worst part of my pitch and just put it in his, and now my pitch is somehow better because that part's not in it anymore. Oh, no, that part's still in your pitch. I just now no. also have to live with it. No, no, no. Kylie, it's out of my pitch, in yours No, now. no, no. It's, well, let the judge decide. Is it out of Madison's pitch, or is it just now also in my pitch? I think it needs to be in both. Honestly. Okay. Okay. Sorry. That's the know. only like that's the only way I'll be able to stomach this decision. <laughs> Which I do not think I would say with me winning. <laughs> Alright. Well that's the decision then. The winner of this week's head to head is my pitch, but including the octopus from Madison's pitch. Um the clear and decisive final winner. As always, we will put this up as a poll on Twitter and let you, the listener, have your vote. I haven't decided yet if we'll put this third option up as <laughs> as a possibility or not. But what I what I love because before I uh, I texted Mike today and I'm just like, man, my pitch is so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, texted it, Madison back and said, I don't think my pitch is stupid enough. So balance out. <laughs> And it was in the middle of me writing the octopus thing when I wrote that. And I was like, yeah. You know what, Kylie? I didn't think my pitch was stupid enough. And you helped me make it stupid enough, I guess, by putting this What I'm here for, making everything stupider. You should get that on a business card. <laughs> Madison, did we do it? I think we did it. I think this episode, right. this very long episode is... Yeah. All right, well, that's credits on another episode of The Equalizers. Madison Jones, tell the people where they can find us. The people can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are found by searching The Equalizers. Uh, just any, any of those good podcast mountains, we're, we're waiting for you at the summit. Wherever you go to answer your podcast riddles to... Um, to appease a emo octopus into letting you into the next room. At your local movie theater, when you buy a ticket, there we are on the back of it. Wherever you swashbuckle your audio erotica. Yep. You can find us on Podcast Planet. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, <laughs> you can do so on Facebook and Twitter at the equalizers gmail equalizers at gmail.com we have an instagram the underscore equalizers where we try to post a teaser for each week's episode maybe you were one of the lucky few who figured out treasure planet was this week that's of course as always spelled e q u e l i z e r s 
Special thanks on our opening and closing music go to Creo for their song Rock Thing. You can find their work at www.creo-music.com. Also, before we forget, Kylie, where they, can they find your stuff? You can find me on Twitter at KJ Neal Writer. That's K J N E A L Writer. Uh, be sure to send her any and all pictures of octopuses or Jim Hawkins haircut. Yeah. Regardless of the film, any Treasure Island adaptation, just give her that good Hawkins haircut. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be awesome if you would rate and review us, subscribe on your podcast uh, host of choice. We want to give a special shout out to Quentin A. Pongratz, who gave us a very sweet uh, five-star review. It was very much appreciated. Uh, we also want to give a shout out to America's funny man, Adam Sandler, who was definitely not friend of the show, Daniel Nah. Uh, we're working on it. We've taken your we've taken your critique into account and we're working on it. His his critique, his critique for everyone for reference was parentheses, hard to jack off to. So we're we're looking into some different avenues to to, to help with that. That that one actually really hurt me. I was really hoping like that our podcast would be easy to check off. Yeah, when we started the equalizers, we Madison and I sat down and we said, "What's one thing we really want to make sure yeah. we get right with the tone of this show?" And I said, "I want to get people hard." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're working on it. And I waved my finger in Mike's face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but not one of the ones on his hand. No. <laughs> Okay, can we end this madness, please? End it. So, so, for the equalizers, I'm Madison Jones. I'm Mike Knoll. And I'm Kylie Neal. And then your butthole just closes up. To be continued.